so the last talk was, was really, really fantastic. And unfortunately, I'm going to uh, follow it up with a, a much drier sort of academic talk, but uh, hopefully, hopefully be interesting in a different kind of way. So right at the center of effective altruism is this idea of cause prioritization, right? There's lots of problems in the world that we could be trying to fix. There's lots of opportunities we could be taking advantage of, and we want to know which are the most important. And there's a sort of standard list of, of candidates, uh, which you may have gotten from, from Natalie's talk if you haven't seen them before. So there's global poverty, there's animal welfare, there's risks from artificial intelligence, biosecurity, nuclear security, climate change, et cetera, et cetera. And each of us individually or as groups, as organizations, we have to think which of these problems are the most important, how do we want to sort of divide our time and our energy and our money. Uh, and suppose that we reach the conclusion that one of these cause areas, say, animal welfare is, is the highest priority. It's the place where, say, I as an individual can do the most good. Then a natural next question to ask is, given that I think animal welfare is the most important cause area from my standpoint, given my capacities, et cetera, should I sort of go all in on animal welfare? Should I focus exclusively on animal welfare? Or should I also be trying to have an impact on other areas, say on, on biosecurity or on artificial intelligence? Now, one kind of consideration that might seem relevant to this question, whether to diversify or not, is uncertainty. So we could be wrong in all sorts of ways about which causes is most intrinsically important, about where we can do the most good, et cetera. Um, and a particular kind of, of uncertainty where a lot of my academic work has, has focused and that's sort of kind of going to be the focus of this talk is what philosophers call normative uncertainty, which means uncertainty about basic moral principles or other kind of normative principles. So can I get a show of hands? Who here, if I say Kantianism, utilitarianism, who knows what I mean? And for whom is that gibberish? OK, cool. So I'll, I'll try to balance this somehow. Uh, but so look, you know, there, there's a simple example, right? Uh, a lot of people's sort of common sense moral intuitions say we have deep moral responsibilities to other human beings, maybe particularly to the human beings around us. We don't have the same kind of moral responsibilities to non-human animals. But utilitarians famously say, and a lot of effective altruists say, no, 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 we have basically qualitatively the same kinds of responsibilities to non-human animals that we do to other humans, all right? So suppose that, uh, yeah, so, so I mean, here's like one way you might uh, get worried about a question like this. So I think animal welfare is the most important cause area. Why? Well, I think pain is bad and, and animals experience pain. But you know, maybe really what makes pain bad in humans is that it's conjoined with some other more complex mental states that we're capable of, call it suffering, and, and maybe say chickens aren't. And so I'm worried that, that maybe these, uh, these things, the experiences in, in chickens that I think really have moral significance, maybe they don't at all. Now, suppose that I've sort of accounted for that uncertainty. I've, I've discounted the importance of animal welfare based on my uncertainty whether animal suffering really, really matters. Uh, and it still seems to me like animal welfare is the most important cause area. Now, the question I'm going to focus on in this talk is, does my uncertainty nonetheless, you know, even given that I still think animal welfare is the most important cause area, does my uncertainty give me some reason to diversify more, to spread out my resources more across other cause areas that I think are, are also important? Now, I should say, you know, just when I was going through these slides, I sort of realized that most of what I'm going to say, not all of it, but most of it, 
is really about the impact of uncertainty in general and not this thing I'm calling normative uncertainty in particular. So that's good, right? It means what I'm going to say is, is uh, sort of more generally applicable, applicable to a, a wider range of considerations. We'll get to some stuff at the end if we get to it that's uh, more specific to normative uncertainty. So here's the plan. I'm going to run through four ways in which you might think that being uncertain about basic normative questions, and at least for the first three of them, just being uncertain in general, gives me reason to diversify more. My conclusion is going to be that none of these is, is really super persuasive. Uh, so none of them definitely implies that you or me or, or most sort of uh, philanthropic, effectively minded, altruistic agents have, have more reason to diversify than we otherwise would. Uh, but in typical sort of signaling my epistemic modesty sort of fashion, I'm going to say it's not obvious that these arguments fail either. So, so there might be something here that's, uh, that's worth thinking about. Uh, and then if there's time at the end, which I suspect that there won't be, I'll uh, try to relate this back a little bit to some other reasons to diversi diversify across different cause areas that don't sort of intrinsically have to do with uncertainty, but do seem to have some connection with these uncertainty-based reasons. Okay, so reason number one. Uh, diminishing marginal value. Raise your hand if this expression is familiar to you, and raise your hand if it isn't. Okay, cool. So very quickly, diminishing marginal value is this phenomenon that for lots of things in the world, the more I have of it, the less valuable an additional unit is. So in an effective altruist context, we're buying uh, anti-malarial bed nets for people in malaria-prone parts of the world. The first thousand bed nets, where are they gonna go? They're gonna go where they're needed the most. Right, where there's the highest prevalence of malaria, where other treatments are least available, et cetera, et cetera. The next thousand bed nets will go to where they're needed the next most, and so on and so on and so on. By the time we've distributed 10 million bed nets, we're gonna be doing less good with each additional thousand bed nets than we were to begin with, right? So this seems to be a very general phenomenon. And it means that these sort of questions of cause prioritization, I think, have kind of this structure up here. So all of the examples are going to be really, really schematic, so don't pay too much attention to the details of the example. But just to sort of illustrate the, the kind of effects that diminishing marginal value has, suppose now I think the most important cause area is AI safety, and I think the second most important cause area is biosecurity. I think about, OK, the first dollar that I put into either of these cause areas, how much good will it do? And then how quickly does that marginal value diminish? And so here's some sort of very oversimplified curves. AI safety starts out a lot better. As I spend more and more and more, the marginal value of additional spending goes down until eventually I hit this, what I'm calling diversification point, where the marginal value of spending an additional dollar on AI safety would be less than the marginal value of starting to spend some money on biosecurity, right? So diminishing marginal value by itself gives us some reason to diversify, right? Once you put enough money into something, maybe you're going to have better opportunities putting money into something else. Uh, expected value, we already talked about that in, in the last session, so I won't spend too much time introducing it. But the point is, you know, these marginal values, of course, we don't know for sure what the impact of an additional dollar or an additional bed net is going to be. We're interested in the expected value, right? The, the various impacts it could have multiplied by a probability, and then you add them all together, you get a probability-weighted sum, right? So when I'm uncertain about the value of something, that reduces its expected value. It reduces the expected marginal value of doing more work in that area. So here's, again, a sort of really schematic example of how this might impact my decision making. 
So suppose that, you know, again, don't care about the details of the example, but biosecurity, suppose that that's really about sort of people now who are going to be threatened by pandemics in the next 20, 30 years, say. Uh, and suppose AI safety, suppose I have like relatively long what we call AI timelines. So I think work that we do on AI safety right now is going to benefit people almost exclusively who are not alive yet. And I might be uncertain for various philosophical reasons about whether to what extent I have responsibilities to those people who don't exist now. So let's suppose that this makes me think AI safety is less important in expectation than I thought it was, right? I apply some discount for my uncertainty about whether AI safety work matters at all. Now, I still think that AI safety is sort of initially the most important cause area, but it's a lot closer to biosecurity. And you can see here in this uh, really simple model that that means coupled with the sort of diminishing marginal value of investment in a cause area, that I hit the diversification point much, much sooner, right? It's much sooner the case that I can have more expected marginal value by diversifying going into other cause areas than if I had been certain that AI safety was important, right? So normative uncertainty could have this impact that it brings the initial marginal values of different cause areas closer together, leads us to uh, diversify sooner than we otherwise would. Basic assessment of this line of argument, I think that for large donors here, the sort of obvious example of the EA world is the Open Philanthropy Project. Uh, this kind of reasoning is just absolutely right and straightforward and important uh, because they're spending large amounts of money and they should pay attention to how the, the returns to that investment diminish as they spend more. And of course, they do pay attention to these things. For somebody like me, this kind of reasoning doesn't seem directly important. Why? Because, well, you know, even if I gave my whole income to AI safety, we'd still be hanging out you know, right about here, like pretty close to the y-axis, right? So the marginal value of my donations is not going to diminish very much uh, as I donate more of my salary to a given cause area. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is risk aversion. Here's a simple thought experiment. Suppose that you have the opportunity either to save one life for sure or do something that has a one in a thousand chance of saving a thousand lives and otherwise does nothing, all right? Now, in expectation, these options are equally good. Why? Because 1,000 times 1 over 1,000 equals 1. 1 equals 1, right? These are equally good. Uh, show of hands, if you just, you know, not trying to think about it too hard, just your sort of initial intuitive inclination, who would prefer to do the, like, 1 in 1,000 thing? And who would prefer to take the sure thing? Right, okay, so we get a larger show of hands for the sure thing, right? Most people intuitively are drawn towards doing good for sure, even when the expectations are equivalent. Uh, now, interestingly, there's some psychological research that says maybe this depends on how you frame the choice. So if I present you with the same alternatives but described in a different way, so option one is 999 people die for sure. Option two is there's a 99.9% .9 chance that 1,000 people die in a point one percent chance that nobody dies. Uh, then in some sort of classic experiments by Kahneman and Tversky, you get the opposite result. People's preferences sort of flip. But I think when we're thinking about our own charitable activity, we tend to frame it in terms of gains rather than losses, right? We more naturally think in terms of lives saved than in terms of lives lost. So I think we're drawn towards doing the, the sure thing in cases like this. Now, why would we be drawn this way? Well, you know, you can see a, a line of reasoning that goes something like this. If I save a life, then my life has really meant something. 
you know, I've done something that's really made a difference in the world, made a difference for somebody else, that makes my life sort of more meaningful. Of course, saving a thousand lives would be better than saving one life, but not a thousand times better, at least not from the standpoint of my own sense of having accomplished something, having done some good. The sort of reductive way to talk about this is, in psychology, it's popular to say that people do altruistic deeds for the warm glow that they experience. I'll experience probably more warm glow if I save a thousand lives than if I save one, but I'm not going to experience a thousand times as much warm glow, right? So if what I really want is to be certain or as certain as I can be that I've made some difference, that, that my life has done some good for the world, then that gives me some reason to, uh, to be risk averse, and that potentially gives me some reason to diversify more. So just to give a you know, really quick example, suppose now I think the most important uh, cause area is climate change. But again, I'm not sure whether uh, working on climate change is really that valuable. Various reasons that could be. Uh, so maybe, again, I'm uncertain whether I really have moral responsibilities to people in the distant future. Maybe I'm just unsure whether I can have any impact on climate change. Right? I think I could spend my whole life doing climate policy advocacy kind of work and make no change at all to actual policy outcomes. And even if my impact is really high in expectation, because the impact I might have is really big, I might still feel sort of depressed about this, that like probably I'm not having any impact at all. Um, so it's tempting to say, well, what if I divide my time up a little bit? What if I you know, do some work on climate change and do some work on biosecurity, do some work on animal welfare? Or maybe I work on one thing, but then I donate to other things or something like that. Um, my expected impact on the world will probably go down if I do that, but my chance of having some impact will go up, right? Okay, uh, how do we assess this? Well, I think at least it seems intuitively to me that this is a powerful psychological reason why people actually do diversify. It's part of, I think, what, what inclines me to diversify when I like go to GiveWell and I think, do I you know, give everything to AMF this year or do I do whatever their recommended distribution is or something? Uh, I like the idea that like, I can be fairly confident that I'm having some positive impact. But it's really hard to see this as an actual justification for diversifying, I think. Um, there are sort of decision-theoretic arguments that being risk-averse in this way, like trying to maximize the probability that I do some good, is probably bad because over the very long run, it means that I'm almost certain to do less good than I otherwise could have. That seems bad. Um, one way in which you could try to turn this into a, a sort of proactive justification is if you have kind of running in the background something like an egoistic normative theory. Like if you think all we're trying to do is be what philosophers call instrumentally rational. I'm trying to satisfy my preferences or my desires. And look, it just turns out that I have a preference to diversify, or I have this preference to you know, believe that I've done some good in the world, and so diversifying is a way of satisfying that preference. Right? Or a little bit less sort of reductively, maybe you're an Aristotelian and you think doing good for others is one component of the good life, but once I've done some amount of good, if I've you know, saved a life or something like that, saving a thousand lives is not going to make a thousand times as much contribution to the value of my own life. So there's ways you could turn this into a, a sort of normative justification. Uh, I don't find them particularly compelling, but they're out there. Let me just check where I am on time. Okay. Uh, line of reasoning number three. 
So the basic idea here is decision making under uncertainty is hard, particularly decision making under normative uncertainty. And when we're faced with hard choices, often it's going to turn out that there are multiple things that it's okay to do. So really quickly sort of skimming over how this can happen, well, uh, for instance, in the context of decision making under normative uncertainty, a kind of ideal way you might think that things can go is, well, we have a bunch of moral theories and we have a bunch of ways that the world could work, sort of empirical possibilities, and for each of those, we can assign some precise numbers to what would be the value of me working on this clause area at this time or that clause area. And then we just do expected value reasoning. We multiply these things by probabilities and we add them up. Uh, and then we get some numbers. And when we have, for each option, a real number, some you know, part of the real number line, we're very rarely going to end up with rational options. Why? Because well, in some sense, it's sort of hard to cash out. You grab two real numbers from even you know, the interval 0, 1, the chance that they're going to be the same real number is very, very small. right? But that assumes, among other things, that you can assign precise numerical probabilities to all the possibilities that you're considering. It assumes that you can assign precise numerical values to, say, the wrongness of killing an innocent person according to Immanuel Kant's moral theory or something like that. So just to look at one sort of simple example, suppose my probabilities are imprecise. So utilitarianism and Kantianism, again, two rival moral theories. It could be that like the probability of utilitarianism is 0.543 and Kantianism is 0.457 or something like that, right? Much more likely, uh, you know, a normal person is going to say, I think utilitarianism is a little bit more probable, so like more than 0.5, but yeah, less than 0.8 or something like that. And when you assign imprecise probabilities like this, it's often going to turn out that there's more than one thing that looks sort of rationally permissible. So here's a simple example. I have $3,000 to donate. Again, don't worry too much about the details. If I give it to AMF, let's suppose, I'll save exactly one human life for sure. If I instead donate those $3,000 to the Humane League, I'll do an amount of good that theory one, say utilitarianism, says is equivalent to saving 1.5 human lives. But then there's theory two, which says I only have moral responsibilities to humans, and the, you know, the, the good that I do for animals, the impact I have on animals, doesn't matter morally at all. Now, decision theory says the crucial question that we now need to answer is what probability do I assign to theory one, what probability do I assign to theory two? Let's suppose that the best I can say is, well, theory one, I think that's at least 50% likely to be true, and I think it's no more than 90% likely to be true. Right? And then we sort of have a range of probabilities, and from that, we calculate a range of expected values. So donating to AMF, we're sure about, that has expected value one, where one just means the value of saving a human life. Uh, donating to the Humane League, well, the expected value, the sort of natural way of doing this, is it becomes a range, right? It's tempting to say it's somewhere in this range. Actually, the right way to say it is it just is the range, right? So the expected value of donating to the Humane League is the interval 0.75 to 1.35, which you'll notice includes one, right? So we can't, at least it seems like, say donating to AMF has greater expected value or donating to the Humane League has greater expected value. Now, very quickly, in this sort of situation, uh, you might think the following. 
if it's permissible for me in any given choice situation, say every time I'm trying to decide whether to donate some money to AMF or the Humane League, if it's permissible for me to go either way, then it seems like it should be permissible for me to sometimes go one way, sometimes go the other way. Right? So rational options in particular cases create the option of diversification across cases. Now, there's various worries you could have about this. One big worry is that if you do this in a sort of arbitrary way, you could, again, end up doing things that look sort of definitely bad. So making a series of choices that each moral theory you have credence in, or each moral plus empirical theory, says is worse than if you had made some other series of choices. So we want to avoid that. The sort of standard way of avoiding that in decision theory is to say, even if you don't have sharp probabilities, even if you don't have sharp numerical values, act as if you do. Choose some precise probability from within this imprecise range and just sort of go with it. But even if we do that, we could choose the precise probabilities that put the choice between, say, AMF and the Humane League right on a knife's edge where we're sometimes going to go one way, sometimes going to go another way. So the bottom line on this, I think, is there is something here. I think uh, we probably are stuck with some degree of imprecision in decision making under normative uncertainty. But it only gets us that we are permitted to diversify. It doesn't seem like it's going to get us the conclusion that we're required to diversify. OK. Uh, just a couple minutes left, so I'm going to say very, very little about this fourth thing. This is actually the line of reasoning that is distinctive to, uh, to normative uncertainty. Uh, and it's something that gets pretty technical pretty quickly. So even if I was going to talk about it for longer, I would, I would be glossing a lot of the details. But here's roughly the issue. Uh, when I'm uncertain, say, whether Kantianism or utilitarianism is the correct moral theory, the big central technical problem that philosophers have been grappling with for the last 10 or 15 years is how do I make quantitative comparisons between utilitarian values and Kantian values? Right? So Kantianism says telling a lie or killing an innocent person, these things are just absolutely morally wrong. Utilitarianism says, you know, more happy is better, less happy is, is worse. Uh, and now we want to know how do we compare a utilitarian reason to a Kantian reason such that we can, for instance, compute an expected value. I'll skip the example. Uh, bottom line, this is really hard. right? There's some cases where it looks doable. There's a lot of cases where there's no obvious way of doing it. One suggestion that's been floating out there in the literature for a while is that we should somehow try to compare theories in a way that treats them equally. So this is what Will, who's done important academic work in this area, calls the principle of equal say. Uh, he and this earlier guy, Ted Lockhart, who's one of the, the sort of the first people to really talk about normative uncertainty seriously in the literature, have both suggested that this might have some role to play in how we make decisions under normative uncertainty. The idea basically is that you should give each theory a degree of decision-making weight that's proportional to the probability that you assign to that theory. Now, you might think one way this is going to go is, well, if I give each theory a weight proportionate to its probability, then that means each theory should get its way, so to speak, a percentage of the time that's roughly proportionate to that probability. Uh, now, skipping a lot, uh, I think that this is a hard conclusion to get. Um, there's a lot of questions that you have to answer in order to make this principle of equal say precise. The sort of two central questions are, how do we equalize two theories? Should we equalize the range, equalize the variance, whatever? Uh, and over what domain should we equalize? Should it be like all conceivable choices or 
all of my lifetime choices or just this particular choice I'm making right now. Um, yeah, I think I'll skip the example. Um, the bottom line is that to justify diversification, uh, you need a very specific, uh, particularly specification of the domain over which you're, you're equalizing different normative theories. Um, so for instance, if we say each theory should sort of get equal, say, with respect to the domain of all possible choices, okay, each theory maybe will get its weight some of the time, but that some of the time might not be like any time in this century. Right? Maybe like the 21st century is really important from a utilitarian standpoint, so utilitarianism always wins in the 21st century, and then other moral theories win at other times, or something like that. Right? So that version of PES is not gonna create much reason for individual personal diversification. Uh, and there's actually, I mean, you know, at least the little thinking I've done about this so far, I think you really have to adopt a very specific version of the principle of equal say to get the conclusion that I personally should, uh, should be diversifying as a result of my normative uncertainty. Uh, I also think that, that uh, the principle of equal say is just not super plausible, that it probably shouldn't play a, a huge role in metanormative theories, theories of decision making under normative uncertainty. But this is really still sort of uh, virgin territory philosophically. Not much has been written about it. So as with uh, some of the other arguments we talked about, I think it's too early to, to, to rule it out. This might turn out to be uh, an important argument for diversification. Okay, conclusions. Uh, I think normative uncertainty does give large donors more reason to diversify. So the Open Philanthropy Foundation, right, they really have to think about the diminishing marginal value of their contributions they should diversify more because they're uncertain about the value of their, their sort of top cost areas. Uh, I think the sort of rational options line of reasoning probably does get some traction. It probably gives you and me some rational permission to diversify, but doesn't force us to diversify. The other two arguments that would imply that you and I maybe are required to diversify, my assessment at least, is they're not super compelling. But again, I think there's a lot more to be said here. Uh, and, and again, much of this has to do with uncertainty in general, not normative uncertainty in particular. So I think this is something we should all be thinking about, even if we feel pretty committed to a particular normative perspective. Uh, very last things, none of this is meant to besmirch other really great reasons for cause area diversification. A lot has been written about this by the OpenPhil people, for instance. And one thing I'll just draw your attention to is I've sort of reached this conclusion that large donors have good reason to diversify because of diminishing marginal value considerations. But we as a community are a large donor, right? So if there's thousands of people who every year go to GiveWell and donate to their recommended charities, and GiveWell is moving millions of dollars in small donor contributions, then we collectively as a community ought to be thinking about the diminishing marginal value of our contributions. And this is one way of making sense of, for instance, the fact that GiveWell will often say, here's our recommended allocation, right? Or you donate to us, and we'll turn around and give 40% to one organization, 30% here, 20% here, whatever, right? What they're doing is the fact that we're acting together makes us into a large donor and gives us the opportunity and a sort of real justification for diversifying which is nice because it means we can sort of capture this psychological incentive and have some confidence that you know, we are individually each having some positive impact, even if one particular cause area or one particular intervention turns out not to work.
Okay, thank you very much. Wow. You can stand, Sophie, for a few seconds. Um, who of you was not a philosopher? Raise your hands. How was this for you? It was like... <laughs> yeah, you want to recommend or say something about it? It was quite uh, fast-paced, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> but um, actually, now that I have a mic, can I have a question? Seize the opportunity. I didn't quite un yet understand yeah. the uh, diminishing marginal value and yeah. how you decided on the threshold. So maybe you can go into more details there. Uh, the threshold, say what you mean? Oh, oh, the uh, that dotted blue line. Yeah. yeah. So that's just the initial marginal value of donating to your second best cause area. So the point is, when the uh, value of donating to AI safety or the expected marginal value drops below this line, and then I'm asking, should I donate the first dollar to biosecurity or should I keep donating to AI safety? Right, because biosecurity starts off here the expected value of donating that first dollar to biosecurity is going to be greater than the expected value of donating an additional dollar to AI safety. Does that make sense? Another question. Hi, yeah, thanks for the talk. I enjoyed it. Um, something that I think is, is bothering me with uh, moral uncertainty as yeah. a kind of new philosophical yeah, uh, approach yeah. anyway is that uh, I'm not sure if 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 there's, um, there's just epistemic disagreement in our theories, like the reason why I think utilitarianism is better than Kantianism at the moment, for example, might be that I don't have enough, just enough information on my epistemology is, is, is faulty. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so what do you say about that? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. So I mean, uh, particularly in moral philosophy, uh, I think there's a sort of deep disagreement between, uh, as, as Will was, was hinting at in his keynote, people who, think that uh, we should start from sort of a small set of a priori first principles and kind of reason our way downwards versus people who think we should try to capture as many of our sort of reasonable intuitive judgments about cases as possible, right? That's a disagreement about moral epistemology that then leads people to maybe classical utilitarianism on the one hand versus common sense morality or versions of deontology on the other hand. Um, not much has been written so far, although some has been written about how to respond practically to uncertainty about basic epistemological questions. But I think that's also absolutely an important topic. And then there's also the question, you know, if I'm getting this conclusion, you're getting that conclusion, because we have different epistemologies, should we be maybe sort of reconciling more? Should I be taking more account of your epistemic methods as like a possibly good way of getting at the truth? Okay, the final question here. I'm lucky sitting here, but um, I really liked the last part of your talk, uh, which was very fast, but I, it gave me an idea, and I was wondering, was that, was that also what you're kind of pointing at, which is um, looking at normative uncertainty also on the margin, just like we're looking yeah. at impact on the margin worldwide, uh, we should do what, given what everyone else does, is the best thing to do. Uh, not just as if we're the only ones alive. Mm -hmm. And similarly, with moral uncertainty, you could look at it from a global perspective and see like what the world is currently prioritizing morally in different areas, and then mm -hmm. say maybe, okay, there's too little Kantianism or there's too little utilitarianism, so we should go full on that, balance that, because we think, in fact, 
maybe you say like 10% Kantianism, 70% utilitarianism and some value ethics, then maybe if it's currently the distribution is different, you want to kind of get a diff distribution closer to it. Is that something you've been thinking about a lot? And is that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think it absolutely makes sense. I don't know that I've thought about it in that way before. Uh, so that's, that's uh, really useful. The, the way that I would intuitively think about that is, you know, go back, I'm not gonna go back, but go back to those marginal value graphs, right? If the world as a whole has been pumping a lot into the cause areas that, say, common sense morality thinks is really important, then that means that the marginal value of those cause areas has already diminished and diminished and diminished. And if we then find, like, wild animal suffering, right, uh, a cause area that's relatively neglected because the world hasn't been pumping much of its resources into that cause area, then the expected marginal value of doing some initial work in that area might turn out to be very high. Right? So I think there's one way of explaining the importance of neglectedness. Cool. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much. Give him another hand.